Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the TR90 Body Burn 30 support call. This call happens Monday through Friday at this time. Thrilled to have you along with us. It is 6.40 Pacific Time, 7.40 Mountain Time, 8.40 Central Time, and 9.40 Eastern Time. Thrilled to have you along with us. If you ever miss these calls, you can pick them up on an app called Sound Loud by putting in Frank, F-R-A-N-K, Lomas, L-O-M-A-S, and TR90, or Frank Lomas, and Solutions, the Digit 4 Anti-Aging, wherever you get your podcasts. These calls are archived back more than 11 years. In fact, I think there might even be 12 years or more now at this point. If you're listening to this and it's a podcast and you want to catch us live, if you dial into 712-775-8972 and when it prompts for conference code, put in 910022 and join the call and we would be thrilled to have you along with us. I'm Susan Mann out of Portland, Oregon, welcoming you to this support call. And when you're first starting out with that Tier 90 program, for your lifestyle change, it is a good clean, lean meal a day, two shakes a day, three, um, three snacks a day, 30 grams of protein at at least three of those meals. Taking your supplements 15 to 20 minutes before a meal if it's possible. If not, take it with your meals. It still works, just not quite as effective and as, and as efficient as it would be if you could take it beforehand. Seven plus servings of fruits and vegetables every single day that gives you macronutrients, micronutrients, and fiber, especially if you're getting them fairly close to their original state. Uh, guys need 45 grams of fiber for good digestive health. Ladies, we need 32 grams of fiber. Seven to nine hours of good quality sleep a night, which your body does a whole bunch of system resets while you're sleeping and really... I uh, guess you said for making really wonderful decisions going forward. If um, something else, oh, exercise. Thirty minutes of moderate to heavy exercise at least five days a week. That exercise is a critical part of this TR90 lifestyle change, and this is to help get you set on a path that is really good for you going forward. So I am going to be sharing some information today out of a book that is called Fat Chance, Feeding the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease, written by Robert H. Lustig, MD, MSL. And we've been talking about exercise and fiber being two of those key components to help offset the sugar, the processed food, the obesity, and the disease. And... We started talking about um, some of the obesogens the last couple of days. Today we're actually going to be uh, diving into something else as part of that dynamics. So obesity is a complex problem with many causes and no single easy solution. It is responsible, or it is irresponsible and scientifically spurious to single out high fructose corn syrup or any other food or ingredient as the chief cause of obesity. 
The only effective, lasting way to combat obesity is to encourage people to live a balanced lifestyle, eating a variety of foods in moderation and incorporating lots of physical activity into their daily lives. And believe it or not, this was released by the National Soft Drink Association press release in March 25th, 2014. Well, this is sort of right. High fructose corn syrup, or FSCS, and sucrose are, for all intents and purposes, biochemically and metabolically equivalent. But the truth stops there. Both the Sugar Association and the Corn Refiners Association have gone out of their way in their attempts to exonerate sugar, whatever the source. They want the public to think that a calorie is a calorie. They want us to believe that fructose and, by inference, all sugar is just empty calories. If it were, then sugar would be the same as no better, no worse than any other nutrient. In their view, for a standard sedentary adult consuming 2,000 calories per day, approximately 1,800 calories are essential calories in that they are directed to producing lipids for blood cells and protein for muscles and enzymes and carbohydrates for normal energy metabolism, growth and repair. This leaves about 200 calories per day as discretionary calories, which could can be spent any way we want. And if we exercise, we have the capacity to consume an even higher number of discretionary calories. If we want to use them all on sugar, then we should have the choice to do so. And we do. And then some. The U.S. sugar glut is the result of more than political distortion behind the scenes manipulation than the 2000 Bush-Gore election. We have always had a sweet tooth. But our consumption of sugar is not a problem until the second half of the 20th century. North America was consistently a sugar deficit area, requiring more imports than exports to meet the growing consumption needs. In chronological order, the events of the past 50 years escalated the problem to bring us to the precipice of our current public health collapse. And there are five things here. First, the Cuban Revolution in 1959 and the subsequent assumption of power by Fidel Castro cut off our standard, uh, standard sugar supply. The Bay of Pigs incidents in 1961 ended any further dialogue or trade with Castro regime. We needed a new sugar fix, quote unquote. High fructose corn syrup began to hit our shores in the early 1970s. Initially, the U.S. Excuse me, the U.S. food industry was somewhat wary of this new product. The eventual introduction of HFCS to the Western diet resulted in stability of the U.S. producer price index for sugar because of the cost of hot, um, FCSC on average is about half the cost of sucrose. Third, President Richard Nixon astutely noted that fluctuating food prices foment 
political unrest. He directed his energy of agriculture, Earl Rusty Butts, to take food off the table as a political issue. Butts' job was to find ways to make food cheap. FC or high fructose corn syrup fit the bill. This was one of the impetuses for developing the corn subsidy as part of the farm bill. Basically, the U.S. government would underwrite the cost of corn even when it costs more to grow it than to sell it. And the low cost of high fructose corn syrup broke down the price of both, making both substances cheap and readily available. Number four, the McGovern Commission edict led to a directed policy on the part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the late 1970s to reduce our consumption of dietary fat. How do you make low fat taste good? Uh, add sugar. I proved toast corn syrup was the cheapest alternative around and homegrown to boot. In the process of switching various processed foods to the low-fat, high-sugar version, the food industry found that its profits were increasing. And number five, the final nail in our coffin came from the second-worst hurricane in our history. Everyone remembers Hurricane uh, Katrina in, 19, in 2005. Hurricane Allen in 1980 wiped out the entire Caribbean sugar crop in one fell swoop. Sugar futures skyrocketed to 55 cents a pound, a record for that era, and more than a dollar per pound retail. Coca-Cola, which had been holding out in terms of switching from sucrose to high fructose corn syrup, now saw a shortage of raw sugar and ushered in high, a high fructose corn syrup containing version onto the market shelves and the rest of the food industry quickly followed suit. In the 1990s, high fructose corn syrup became the most commonly used sweetener in the United States. Currently, 5% of all the corn grown in this country is turned into HFCS. And HFCS is no worse for your health than, any, than other forms of fructose, though it is always devoid of fiber. However, it's cheap, easy to produce, readily available, and now it permeates nearly all of our foods. And we like it, so we buy more. While HFCS is cheaper to produce than sugar, the prices on various foods containing it have remained the same, if not gotten higher. Check out the price of a box of cereal. A win-win for the food industry. The food industry will counter that there are lots, there are many reasons to add sucrose or high fructose corn syrup to food and to remove the food's fiber, and some of them are very reasonable, both industrially and economically. But how about biologically? How about in terms of our health? First, sugar adds sweetness. Our tongue is able to distinguish five tastes, sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and savory. Sugar covers up the other four. It covers up salty, trail mix, honey roasted nut peanuts, sour, 
the acidity in processed tomato sauce provided by less than ripe tomatoes or lemonade, bitter, milk chocolate, and the savory sweet and sour pork. Sugar covers up the iniquities of food, making not-so-tasty food seem like it's worth eating. Bottom line, you can make pretty much anything taste good with enough sugar, and the food industry does. Second, sugar and browning. Browning of foods is appealing to your eye and to your taste buds. We slather our ribs in barbecue sauce before we cook or grill them to get just get the right amount of browning effect. All foods brown better with sugar. And the browning of meats provides a smokier, tangier flavor, as discussed in Chapter 11. The browning of food is the Maillard reaction. While appealing on the plate and, on, and to the palate, it's not so appealing for arteries. Sugar also adds texture. Baked goods wouldn't be nearly as interesting without sugar. Try to make a cake with Splenda. It will taste just as sweet, but it won't puff up. In baked bread, the yeast needs something to work on to give it airiness. Conversely, wafer crackers wouldn't be crisp if it weren't for the sugar. Sugar provides viscosity or thickness to various foods, such as gummy bears. Sugar also provides the glass appearance and crunch of hard candies. Furthermore, sugar lowers food's freezing point, which is essential for ice cream to have that creamy consistency and raises their boiling point, which makes caramels chewy. Sugar stops spoilage. Sugar reduces water activity or the intensity with which the water associates with solids. The higher the water activity, the more easily bacteria and mold grow on food. And easily moldy food means quicker spoilage, but sugar and salt, for that matter, reduces the water activity and makes it less likely that any food, given food will be able to spoil. This is why the food industry uses sugar as a preservative. When was the last time you tasted a rancid soft drink? Flat, maybe, but never rancid. Nothing can grow on that bottle, in that bottle. <coughs> In addition, <coughs> excuse me, the addition of sugar to a food also adds humectancy, which is the ability to hold on to water. This is extremely important for preventing your favorite treats from going stale, particularly your baked goods. One way to gauge the effect on sugar on humectancy is the staling of bread. How long does a loaf of bread purchase at your local bakery take to go stale? About two days. About how long does a loaf of commercial bread purchased at the supermarket take to go stale? About two to three weeks. This works for the consumer because it retards spoilage and reduces waste. The food industry and the supermarket associations are happy because it reduces depreciation, thereby increasing profits. I checked my local supermarket of the 32 commercially available breads there, 31 were made with high fructose corn syrup, added for both browning and humectancy. And what were they lacking? Fiber. 
currently the meridian, uh, the median U.S. fiber consumption is 12 grams a day. This is on purpose. The food industry move, removes fiber from food because fiber limits shelf life. Bread devoid of fiber is going to last far longer than in your pantry than if you buy it fresh at the farmer's market, and the food industry capitalizes on it. Reduced depreciation means reduced costs, which means increased sales, which, what's the definition of fast food? It's fiberless food because you can't freeze fiber and expect to maintain the same texture. Fiberless food can be frozen, shipped globally, cooked quickly, and getting rid of fiber has obviated satiety and has exasperated the negative impact of carbohydrates contributing to hyperinsulinemia, obesity, and metabolic syndrome. And on Thursday, we will get into when you can't justify deflect, which is the next section of this compound problem. At the top of the hour, if you scoot over to Facebook, One Team Global Live, one of our leaders will be sharing some information on either how to build a new skin business or what is going on with the new skin world. This is Susan Mann from Portland, Oregon, signing out on February 21st, 2023. Have a great day. I'm going to take a soft mute so you can say goodbye and add any thoughts or comments you may have. So there we are, my friends. Why we need that fiber. We will be getting... Uh, and how come sugar has become so prevalent in everything else that's going on in our lives. So with that being said, if there's no other thoughts or comments, we'll have Frank up tomorrow. I'll be back on Thursday. Hope you have a great day in the meantime, or have a great couple of days, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.